Mark, chapter 8, verses 1 through 21, verses 1 through 9. In those days, the multitude being very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him, and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days, and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they'll faint by the way. From diverse of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and he gave thanks, and brake, and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat, and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about four thousand. And he sent them away. Burkett notes, This chapter begins with the relation of a famous miracle wrought by our Savior, namely the feeding of four thousand persons with seven loaves and a few fishes. And here we have observable, first, the tender care which Christ took of the bodies of men to provide all necessaries for their support and comfort. He giveth us richly all things to enjoy. The great housekeeper of the world openeth his hand and filleth all things living with plenteousness. How careful was our Savior here, that the bodies of poor creatures might not faint, nor be over-weak and weary by the way. Therefore he would not dismiss them without refreshment. Observe, too, the original source and spring from whence this care that Christ had of the multitude did proceed and flow, namely, from the sympathizing pity and tender compassion which the merciful heart of Christ did bear towards persons in distress and misery. Learn hence that the tender pity and compassion of Christ is not the spring and fountain of spiritual mercies only, but of temporal blessings also. I have compassion on the multitude who have nothing to eat. Observe 3. How the disciples, not seeing any outward visible means for the people's support, conclude it's impossible for so many to be satisfied with the little supply they had, namely seven loaves and a few small fishes. Learn hence that a weak faith soon grows thoughtful and sometimes distrustful at the sight of difficulties. Whence, say the disciples, can these men be satisfied with bread, not considering that the power of God in blessing our food is far above the means of food? It is as easy for him to sustain and nourish us with a little as with much. Man liveth not by bread, but by the blessing of God upon the bread he eats. Observe 4. That although Christ could have fed these four thousand without the loaves, yet he takes and makes use of them, seeing they might be had. Learn hence that Christ did not neglect his own appointed ordinary means, nor do anything in an extraordinary way farther than was absolutely necessary. Christ was above means and could work without them, and when they failed, did so. But when the means were at hand, he made use of them himself. To teach us never to expect that in a way of miracle, which may be come at in a way of means. Observe 5. From our Lord's example, that religious custom of begging a blessing upon our food before we sit down to it, and of receiving the good creatures of God with thanksgiving. How unworthy is he of crumbs that fall from his own table, who, with the swine, looks not up unto, and takes no thankful notice of, the hand that feeds him. Observe 6. The certainty and greatness of the miracle. 
They did all eat and were filled. They did all eat, not a crust of bread or a bit of fish, but to satiety and fullness. All that were hungry did eat, and all that did eat were satisfied. And yet seven baskets remain. More is left than was at first set on. It's hard to say which was the greatest miracle, the miraculous eating or the miraculous leaving. If we consider what they eat, we may wonder that they left anything. If what they left, that they ate anything. Observe lastly, our Lord's command to gather up the fragments teaches us that we make no waste of the good creatures of God. The fragments of fish bones and broken bread must be gathered up. The liberal housekeeper of the world will not allow the loss of his orts. Frugality is a commendable duty. God has made us stewards, but not absolute lords, of his blessings. We must be accountable to him for all the instances of his bounty received from him. Verses 10 through 13. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples, and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, and saith, Why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall be no sign given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, the unreasonable practice of the wicked Pharisees in asking a sign of Christ, that is, some new and extraordinary miracle to be wrought by him, to demonstrate him to be the true and promised Messiah. But had not our Savior showed them signs enough already? What were all the miracles daily wrought before their eyes but convincing signs of his divine power? But infidelity, mixed with obstinacy, is never satisfied. Observe, too, our Savior's carriage towards these obstinate Pharisees who persisted in their unbelief. He sighed deeply in his spirit and mourned for the hardness of their hearts. Learn hence that to grieve and mourn for the sins of others, to be affected with them and deeply afflicted for them, is a gracious and Christ-like temper. It is not sufficient to make an outward show of grieving for others' sins, but we ought to lay them to heart and to be inwardly afflicted for them. Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Observe 3. A sharp reproof given by our Savior to them. At the same time that our Savior did inwardly grieve for the Pharisees' wickedness, he did openly reprove them for it. It is not sufficient that we mourn for the sins of others, but we must prudently reprove them as occasion is offered and our duty requireth. Observe 4. The sin which the Pharisees are reproved for, namely, for seeking after a sign. That is, for demanding new miracles, after he had wrought so many before their eyes, to prove the divinity of his person. Learn thence that it is a sin for any to require new signs and miracles for the confirmation of that doctrine, which has been already sufficiently confirmed by miracles. Yea, a heinous sin, which deserveth a sharp reproof and censure. Observe lastly, our Savior's peremptory denial of the Pharisees' presumptuous request. There shall be no sign given to this generation. That is, no such sign or miracle as they desire or would have. No sign or miracle shall be wrought at their motion and suit. Although after this, Christ of his own accord, and at his own pleasure, wrought many miracles before their eyes, such as willfully harden themselves against the light of their own consciences, are righteously delivered up to hardness of heart and final impenitency. These hypocritical Pharisees shut their eyes against the most convictive evidence, and they are given up to their own obstinacy. Our Savior left them and departed.
verses 14 through 21. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that you do not understand? Marquette notes, Observe here, one, how dull the disciples of Christ were under Christ's own teaching, and how apt to put a carnal sense upon his words. They apprehended that he had spoken to them of the leavened bread, what he intended of the leaven of the Pharisees' doctrine. Observe, too, the rebuke our Savior gives his disciples for not understanding the sense and signification of what he spake. Christ is much offended with his own people when he discerns blindness and ignorance in them, after more than ordinary means of knowledge enjoyed by them. How is it that ye do not yet understand? Observe 3. The metaphor by which Christ sets forth the corrupt doctrine of the Pharisees and Herodians. He compares it to leaven, partly for its sourness and partly for its diffusiveness. Now the leaven of Herod, or the Herodians, is supposed to be this, that because Herod was made king of the Jews and lived at the time when the Messiah was expected, there were those that maintained the opinion that he was the promised Messiah, which opinion Christ compares to leaven, because as that diffuses itself into the whole mass or lump of bread with which it is mixed, so false doctrine was not only evil and corrupt in itself, but apt to spread its contagion farther and farther to the infecting of others with it. Learn, then, that error is as damnable as vice, and persons erroneous in judgment to be avoided, as well as those that are wicked in conversation. And he that has a due care of his soul's salvation will be as much afraid of erroneous principles as he is of debauched practices. Observe 4. Our Savior does not command his disciples to separate from communion with the Pharisees and oblige them not to hear their doctrine, but only to be aware of their errors, which they mix with their doctrine. We may and ought to hold communion with a church, though erroneous in judgment, if not fundamentally erroneous. For separation from a church is not justifiable upon any other grounds than that which makes a separation between God and that church, which is either apostasy into gross idolatry, or, in point of doctrine, into damnable heresy. Observe 5. The fault observed by our Savior and his disciples. Hardness of heart. Have ye your hearts yet hardened? There may be, and oftentimes is, some degree of hardness of heart in sincere Christians. But this is not a total hardness. It is lamented and humbled for, not indulged and delighted in. As Christ is grieved for the hardness of his people's hearts, so are they grieved also. It is both bitter and burdensome to them.